Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. It says, Moses, Aaron, and Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait, for, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in the dispute can go to them. When Moses went up to the mountain, the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud And he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. You know, sorry, Uh, after reading that, it it just kind of made me think, um, in some churches, after the reading of the word, they will say the word of God, and the the, the community replies, praise be. Isn't that powerful when you think about that? I mean... Praising God for his written word, which we have at our fingertips. Uh, And that's such a blessing we have nowadays. It can be in your front pocket 24-7 in like 13 different translations. That's amazing. Some people don't even have the opportunity to see and hold an entire Bible. In countries where the Bible isn't legal, they will literally break apart one Bible and pass it around in hunks to underground secret churches. So they might only have a couple chapters, a couple of books. Um, They might not even have a whole Bible for their church. How powerful is the word of the Lord? You sounded like you were going to say something. I was going to invite you to sit down. Well, there you go. I wanted to invite you to sit down this morning because I want to go off to kids' church. No? No. I thought it was worth a shot. Morning, how are we doing? Good. Glad to hear that. Can I keep? That's a good question. I did have a good amount of coffee this morning, but I don't think I could keep up. Especially not with Tate. Uh, let's pray before I get into this. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the fire that you put in our hearts that we've been focusing on these past few weeks. Lord, I pray that uh, you would give me your words to speak, uh, that this preparation would be something that would ultimately lead to your glory, uh, and that if I don't preach to anybody else, at least I'm preaching to myself. But Lord, I hope that these words reach out and touch those who are present or listening online. In your name I pray. Amen. So, I have a, a little bit of a, 
different approach than Dan does, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It isn't necessarily a good thing, but we're different people, and we approach things in a slightly different way. Uh, so I'm going to do a little bit more of a verse-by-verse -verse kind of approach this morning um, and kind of dissect some of the things that I observed and talk about it. So the first thing you're going to notice is there are big, shiny blue rocks up there. What's that about? Well, in verse 10, it starts off in verse 9 saying that Moses, Aaron, uh, and Nadab, Abihu, and then 70 of the elders went up to the mountain and they saw God. And then under his feet was, and different translations use different um, stones. I'm assuming it used a word that more or less described a beautiful blue stone. Uh, and so the two different stones, depending on what translation uh, you use, are either lapis lazuli, which is the one that looks kind of like a globe up there uh, with all the gold sparkles in it and whatnot, um, which is, it's kind of like quartz, um, but it's blue. The, the gold that you'll see in there is pyrite or fool's gold, uh, and there's a couple of other minerals that are often uh, found in the same place. So technically those are imperfections, but they're often seen as a positive attribute because it adds more color. Uh, and more variant. Uh, you'll even go on websites that'll tell you different healing properties if you're somebody who believes in that stuff. I'm not going to say here nor there. Uh, God has given us all kinds of different resources for different purposes, uh, but I'm also not going to tell you that putting a rock on a necklace is going to make your life better. So um, there's that. <laughs> I'm being honest. Um, so the... Other one is sapphire, which when I picture sapphire, I don't necessarily picture blue, um, and maybe that's just, maybe that's just me. Um, I, I feel like it's red, but there's also blue sapphires if there are red ones. Um, and, huh? There are. Okay, I'm glad I'm not just crazy and making things up this time. Well, yes, no. That's why I said this time. <laughs> but either way, it's this beautiful crystal blue, uh, and it... In, in the scripture, it's described as blending in with the sky, but it was this like firm pavement. And either way, these are both sought after gemstones. When we see heaven described in other places, it says that the streets are paved with something like gold. There's just this beautiful eminence, this presence of the Lord here that we're seeing as he approaches the leaders of Israel and Moses to give his word. He is on a firm foundation of something valuable. And I think that that should speak to the significance of his word. And in spite of these people seeing and being in contact with the Lord, it says he didn't kill them, which is kind of a big deal. Uh, if I recall correctly, in the passage that precedes this, it says that if anyone even touched the foot of the mountain, who wasn't one of the 70 uh, leaders, uh, or Moses, or Joshua, that they would instantly be killed, which is like crazy, just for touching the foot of the mountain, not even going all the way up, not seeing the Lord, not being in the cloud, for touching the base of the mountain, just done. And that's because he's so holy. That is because of the perfection and magnificence of his presence. 
So the fact that they could be up there and they could eat and they could drink and they could be with the Lord without being killed was remarkable. Now, we don't think of it that way when we come into church like, oh man, you know, I, I uh, told a small white lie this week and I might just be smited for walking in the door. We don't necessarily think like that. But God's presence is so holy, we should have a little bit of that fear. Now, thankfully, Jesus intercedes for us, so it's not quite the same way. But we need to remember his holiness. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide. I think that that's really cool. He invites Moses, but Moses views Joshua as like an extension of himself. He doesn't go up by himself. He brings Joshua along with him. And it describes him as his aide. Uh, there are other translations, and if you look up in the dictionary uh, this Hebrew word, another synonym for this word is minister, which I also think is cool because we use that as a term to describe church leaders nowadays, right? But what does it really mean? It means an aide or a servant. Uh, so I have a picture of a nurse aide up there, uh, near and dear to my heart, because Miss Kimberly, uh, who... If she gets feeling a little bit better, we'll be here second service. Um, but she went to bed not feeling well last night, so we'll see how that does or doesn't pan out. Um, but they, they, are, they are servants, ministers and aides. They are servants. And in Hebrews, it describes angels as ministering spirits to those who are believers. The angels are actually to an extent, are servants. Now, that doesn't mean we can just boss around angels, but the Lord sends them to take care of us, to look out for us. That's powerful. That puts us in a position of authority. Now, that doesn't mean that we have that authority in and of ourselves that is bestowed upon us after we put our faith in Christ. And it's given to us because of Christ's authority, not our own. But that's powerful. And so Joshua is his, his aide, his minister, his servant. And so uh, as Moses is going up, he's saying to the elders, wait here for us, again, indicating he went up with Joshua and that Joshua was there, um, until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. Uh, I have this picture up there because uh, that made me think, they're in charge until we get back. And I was a substitute teacher for a few months last year. So I was, I was in the position where I was in charge until they got back. And boy, howdy, that can be quite a position to be in. <laughs> uh, there was one day I was uh, teaching at a middle school. I was substituting for one of the uh, learning support teachers. So I got a lot of the kids who uh, either had issues with truancy, uh, so they had to catch up, people who had different, you know, attention deficit disorder kind of thing, uh, or perhaps defiance. Uh, there, there is actually a disorder where people are more inclined to be defiant to people in authority. Um, and so it, it was those kind of kids who needed that little boost of academic support, um, which was humbling, but also at some points frustrating. Uh, there was one kid who had to leave early. I think he had a dentist appointment. 
So his mom was picking him up. He was going to be leaving class 10, 15 minutes early. Not a big deal. Uh, and he was accustomed to having like 10 to 15 minutes after class to play on the computer. And I said, you can do that, but you have to get your work done first. And if you get your work done, you can, you can play to your heart's content. But I need you to get your work done first because that's not fair to everybody else. That you get to do less work and have the same amount of playtime, that's not fair. I'm not going to let that slide. And come about 10 minutes before he's supposed to leave, he's like, I want to get on the computer. I'm like, you haven't done anything. You can't get on the computer until you get your work done. And he did not like that. He was not having any of that. He would not hear about it. Uh, he picked up a little plastic tray of calculators, and he chucked it. Um, calculators went everywhere. Nobody got hurt. Um, he might have thrown a pencil as well. I don't remember. Uh, but he was, he was not in a very good mood. Uh, his support aide ended up coming. I think he went sent to the principal's office. Uh, but it was, it was quite the event. I was in charge until somebody else came back. And that's what happened. I had to write down about that on my little report for the end of the day when I was getting ready to leave. It can be a little bit of a compromising position. There was another day, oh my gosh, my first full day as a substitute teacher, if I recall correctly, I was in for a kindergarten class. I love kindergartners, I love little kids, they're great. Um, some of you are already laughing at me. I'm just, I'm just making that observation out loud. Um, and I guess this teacher, uh, her mother was struggling with some sort of illness or another, so she was out quite a bit, and the kids were accustomed to having a substitute teacher, and I was not accustomed to being a substitute teacher. So that made for an ill combination. Uh, <laughs> there was one kid who, if he didn't get what he wanted, he would just go and start screaming, um, so that was fun. There was, it was like a riot almost. It was bad. I had to, no, the principal came, I think, twice. I had to call the office three or four times. Uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was pandemonium. And that was like my first day on the job, and I was... Why you only lasted a month. No, he meant the big week. Yeah. <laughs> if only, if only. That's true, that's true. Well, no, the paddle. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess it would reverberate. I've, if you've ever beaten a stick on a tree, you know how that goes. Um, anyway, back to the scripture. So they were in charge while Moses was gone. Um, and we'll get to that later, because that's another fun story. And why I had the introduction video that I did, in case you were confused on that. Um, so Moses, he went up into the mountain, and the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. So this cloud um, is similar to the cloud of presence that they followed in the daytime and the pillar of fire that they had at night. This was the glory of the Lord's presence. So I'm focusing on three different fires in this scripture, if you will, um, today. And the first fire is the fire of God's glory and presence, his presence and his word, where he speaks to Moses. 
where he gives Moses those commandments. So that's fire number one. Um, and it says, for six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. I thought that this was kind of interesting, that it was a seven-day period. It kind of harkens back to creation. God is creating a new covenant and is renewing the world in a sort of different way. Instead of creating the world, he's creating this covenant, enabling people to be in communion with him, to be able to present themselves to the Lord, to have that relationship restored with him. And so instead of creating a whole new world, he created a new way for us to engage with the Lord in relationship. And it says, to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. So there's that fire of his presence that we were speaking of a moment ago. I found it interesting, it said it looked like a consuming fire. It didn't say that it was a consuming fire. It doesn't say that Moses got burnt up or that he smelled funny when he got back. It said it looked like a consuming fire. And that kind of reminds me of the burning bush a little bit. When you look at it, it looked like something else. It looked like this consuming fire, but there wasn't any damage done. Moses was okay uh, when he came back. Uh, in fact, after one of the times where he's up on the mountain of God, his face is shining with this radiant glow, and he had to cover it up with like a scarf and stuff because people couldn't look at his face because he'd been hanging out with God which is super cool, in my opinion. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, and it says that it was this, this appearance of consumption, of something like that. I mean, we pretty much once a year have some kind of crazy wildfire going out in California. It's just sort of a reality at this point. Not a happy one, but it's a reality nonetheless. And that causes so much damage and destruction. It can cover tens of thousands of miles. Um, you'll hear about, you know, anywhere between 6 and 25 people dying because of it. It's terrible. It's out of control. But this, it only appeared to be that way. It was like the fire and the pillar of cloud happening at the same time. It was God's all-consuming presence. And it says that Moses was up on the mountain and he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody? Yes, Noah. Precisely. And what I thought was kind of cool about that was what happened, what happened in the story of Noah? other than a flood. Why was there a flood with Noah? Yes, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. So that's, that's where the 40 comes in. But why did it rain? Yes, to cleanse the earth from the sin of man. So why did God establish a new covenant with his people? Exactly. And so he was, in a different way, providing for a cleansing of the sin of man. He was giving this covenant so that we could recognize, oh man, we have done all these messed up things and we need to give of ourselves. We need to recognize this 
We need to have some sort of bloodshed to make up for this, this grievous thing that I've done and to get back together with the Lord. So there was this new cleansing that happened in those 40 days and 40 nights as Moses was given the word of the Lord. So meanwhile, while all this is going on, I know that that's kind of hard to look at, but I wanted it to look like one of those Adam West, you know, pows. Uh, so that's, that's what's going on there. Uh, meanwhile, while all this is going on with Moses on top of the mountain, the Israelites are getting impatient. I have this picture up there for a couple of reasons. One, when I was a kid, I had one of those. I ended up giving it to my cousin. Um, but I love that thing. I beat the tar out of it uh, when I lived with my grandparents. Um, they had a split entry-level home with uh, wood steps on the side. Uh, it was made from like railroad ties with pea gravel on the inside. Uh, one of those you know, 70s, 80s kind of things going on. Uh, and I would ride it down those stairs. My grandfather was really worried the first time I did it. Um, the other reason I have that up there is one of the times where I am least patient happens to be when I am behind the wheel. I don't know if that is similar for anyone else in the room. Um, yeah, it's, it's driving and it's computers that are slow. Those, those are two things where my patience is just gone. Um, and the Israelites, they were getting impatient. They were waiting for this Moses guy and he's gone, and he's gone, and he's gone, and he's gone, and he's gone. And they're like, what the heck? They actually uh, refer to him as this fellow Moses, which I think is kind of odd. Um, so it says, when, they, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered together uh, around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. This is in Exodus 32, if you want to follow along, starting in verse 1. I should have mentioned that sooner. Um, which I think is really interesting and really sad. It says, come make us gods who will go before us. The Lord literally, I believe in his own terms, said, I will go before you, and I will be your God and you will be my people. And he went before them in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Pretty hard to miss, if you ask me. And yet, after a month, month and a half, they're like, well, Moses' guy isn't showing up. I guess we're going to have to make a new God because this one isn't cutting it. We need somebody to go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. I think that's kind of interesting too because Aaron is his brother. They don't say, where's your brother? They say, this Moses guy. I don't know where he went. Eh, you better do something about it. They don't, they don't approach him as his brother. They don't approach him as one of their people. They say, as for this fellow Moses. And they, they point to Moses as well. They say, Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt. But who really brought them out of Egypt? God. And that can be a hard thing to recognize as well. So how does Aaron respond? Does he say, just hang on a little bit longer. I'm sure something's going to work out. Yeah, give me your earrings. I, I had the scripture up there that I was going to read. Sorry, I could have put that up sooner. But yes, so the next fire that I have here is the fire of our disobedience. Now I'm going to cut back to that video that I had at the beginning. 
Uh, if you missed it, it was an ancient form of making molds and statues. Uh, it's called the lost wax technique. And what you do is you usually make the model out of something like plaster or clay. And then you um, make a mold of that model that you have initially out of plaster. Once you have that mold, you fill it up with wax and you slosh the wax around so that it coats the inside. And then you break the plaster mold off. So you've got now a wax version of what you had before. You carve in some of the finer details and then they attached rods of wax to the outside of it and a funnel at the bottom. And they would make, uh, they would put in pins around it to secure it. So you would then put plaster on the outside of that, flip it, and then fill the inside of the hollow wax with more plaster. Then you'd put that in a fire so that the wax would melt out. Those pins that you had stuck in the wax would secure the plaster inside of it so that you would have a hard plaster interior, and then you would have this shell that you would fill up with your desired metal, um, and then those sort of rods of wax uh, that connect to the funnel at the top, and you would all fill that. Usually they would make it a bronze statue, but here they used gold earrings, so they would have filled it up with gold. Um, that would take a while, if you think about it. You gotta make one model, and then you gotta make the plaster mold, and then with the second model that you have, then you've got to carve in the fine details. You've got to make the connecting rods and the funnel at the top. And then you've got to make another mold to go outside of that, fill it up with plaster. And then you put in the metal, which you would have already had to have melted and taken the impurities out of. This would be a several day process in order to do it well and right, especially if you have like a million people's earrings and bracelets to break down to put in it. So, if they had this done before Moses came back, that meant they probably waited maybe a month. Maybe. How long are you willing to wait for the Lord? We had this whole quarantine thing where we were out of church for almost two months, maybe even a little bit more than two months. I think we had to stop at the end of March and we started at the beginning of June, right? Yeah, 10 weeks. Ten weeks is two, two and a half months. Did you give up on God in those two and a half months? We're all back here, praise God, but... Whew. It's a hard pill to swallow because they're human just like us. And they saw God moving before them quite literally. And sometimes we can be impatient like that. It says, all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed them and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. This is a super interesting portion because he made this statue. He builds an altar in front of the statue. And then he says, tomorrow we're going to have a festival to the Lord. But it was with a capital L, for those of you who are reading. So that either means that they have this calf, but then they also have God, and they're trying to like have both at the same time. Or they gave the name of the Lord to this calf. 
Either way, it's bad news. Either way is bringing down the name of the Lord from the status that it should have. The next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. So we see both ends of the spectrum. We see that they get up early, they make these sacrifices, which is something that we do to, well, that the Jews did to the Lord, uh, and that's what Moses was getting instructions about, was how to make proper sacrifices and all kinds of other things, but that was a big portion of what the Lord was telling him at this time. And so they're, they're making these sacrifices and these offerings, and then they're going out and partying. It seems a little bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? But at the same time, now they've got, in some capacity or another, two gods. And I think that oftentimes we can make idols ourselves. I know that for me personally, uh, it's pretty easy to put Kim on a bit of a pedestal as far as attention-wise goes in my life. Because, I mean, whew, my goodness. To an extent, yeah, yeah, that's what young love does, right? But uh, that's, that's where a lot of, uh, yeah, I, I heard it, yep. <laughs> but that's where I am in life. And I have to be a little bit careful to make sure that I am not like, you know, just giving Kim all of my attention and neglecting other things that are also important, like, you know, doing the dishes and taking care of the dog and coming to work on time and, you know, life. Um, and it's easy to make fun of myself, but we all have things in life that we get our priorities wrong from time to time. What you focus your attention on, what you entertain yourselves with, the language you might use, any sort of thing. We need to make sure that our hearts and our minds are in the right place. Because it's great if you're making sacrifices to the Lord, but if you're then going out and partying and worshiping around a golden calf, you got problems. Then the Lord says to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. This makes me think of, I, I don't know if this ever happened to you guys. I know that it happened to me. But there are some times where I have done stupid things in life. And my parents have looked at one another and said, that's your kid. Yes? No? I hear chuckling. I'm, I'm assuming that those are probably parents who have said that to one another. <laughs> I see Mark and Julie giving each other eyebrows. <laughs> I know that I've heard my parents joke about that. And they don't really mean that like, oh, you know, this is your fault. But that's something that they might be thinking in the back of their head, at least a little bit. And that's what God's saying. He's saying, look, these are your people. They're screwed up. And he's, he's getting pretty angry. There is this fire going on in his, his heart. It says that the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. He says, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. 
He is through with these shenanigans. But yet, there's forgiveness. Moses pleads on behalf of Israel. He says, Lord, you have promised Abraham and Isaac. You have promised this nation that you would be with them, that you would make them plentiful, that you would bless them. If the whole rest of the world looks at the nation of Israel and sees that you brought them out into the desert to die, what are they going to think of you? And the Lord extends grace and forgiveness. Now, why does he do that? He does that because Moses was praying for his people. We might not necessarily see it as that way. When we look at this, it seems more like a conversation between, um, between, let's say, one sibling who broke something, another sibling who's kind of sticking up for them, and a parent. Uh, I, I don't know if you have ever gotten into trouble with your siblings. I, again, I hear laughing. Um, my sisters are young enough that there wasn't quite that dichotomy, um, but I'm sure that my sisters have gotten into trouble together a little bit from time to time. And here we see Moses sticking up for his people. He's saying, look, I know what they did is wrong. I'm not saying what they did is okay. But you are our God. Please be with us. Please bless us. Please bring us back to you. Because that's what you've promised. It might seem like the Lord changed his mind, but honestly, I would kind of challenge that perspective and say, I think that the Lord was wanting Moses to humble himself, and the Israelites to humble themselves, to see that God's grace and his forgiveness is there, but that there was a need for repentance. And I think that this shows the power of praying for someone else to show how important that is. No matter how far astray somebody has gone, that praying for them can soften God's heart towards them. So with that, I want to ask you one last question. What is your heart like? Like I said, we all have a tendency. Uh, I, I don't recall who, but there's, there's some fancy famous preacher out there nowadays who refers to our, our hearts as idol factories. I can, I can see that. I can definitely see that in my own life. So how is your heart? Do you know that forgiveness is out there for you too? Now fortunately, we don't have to make sacrifices anymore. You don't have to find an unblemished sheep or goat. We have Jesus, who's way better than any sheep or goat. He's the Lamb of God. If your heart's not in the right place, or if you recognize an idol in your own heart, the altar is open. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time we had to be together in your word, to focus on what you have to say, on how you lead your nation, your people, your flock,
Lord, we thank you for the examples we see, both the good and the bad, that we may learn, that we may grow closer to you, that we can put our hearts before you, and that we can put aside whatever idols we might have so that you can be first, so that you would rekindle the fire in our hearts and bring us closer to you. In your precious and holy name, I pray. Amen.